Impossible podcast as we discuss the doctor's wife. I'm Caleb Woodbridge, I'm Peter Bell, and I'm James Willits. James to the podcast. Thank it's been a while. Much. It it's has, been, yeah. It's, really yeah. Long. it's good to be back, though. So, what have you made of the series so far? And uh, just to... uh, astonishingly, I've been really, really loving it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I genuinely haven't felt let down by an episode so far. I, I know not, that not even the, the pirates. Episode. Not even the pirates episode. Um, I was just saying to to Pete before this that in comparison to a lot of the standalone episodes from previous seasons, um, although it didn't do anything fantastically, although it didn't knock the story right out of the park, um, it it was good. Uh, and really, that's actually all that I'm looking for these days in a standalone story. I mean, it, compared to um, uh, the Pyroviles episode from season four or the Adipose episode prepared to, compared to the Doctor's daughter, um, compared to a lot of the, the standalone episodes of the past, it was just absolutely um, on another level. Really? I, 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 I really I, I, enjoyed I, it. Because um, I, 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 I didn't think it was... I, I, I did. There, there were bits that were fun, but I didn't feel it lived up to its uh, potential nearly as much as, say, um, Partners in Crime or Fires of Pompeii. That's really interesting, because I, th- I think it did live exactly up to its potential, which was that it was a bit of a romp with pirates, and that was exactly what we got, whereas Fires of Pompeii tried to do a little bit too much, Partners in Crime was a little bit too daft. Um, I think that these really there's just been a a maintenance of quality uh, and a consistency of quality. So we've had two really good episodes, one average to good episode, let's say, across the across the whole of us. Yeah. Um, And now this episode, uh, and to be honest, I'm I'm much more enjoying that than um, a a series which has some fantastic highs but some terrible lows as Mm. well. I'd rather have that consistency. So I'm I'm really enjoying it. A lot more, in fact, even than last season, um, which looking back on now, I I feel was very, very up and down. Well, I think the series certainly is shaping up well. I wasn't too taken with the pirate episode, but I've loved three out of four that I've loved and one that was okay is a pretty good um, uh, hit rate so far. Um, I'd I'd agree with you on that Um, just to weigh in on last week's episode because I missed the podcast for that Um, I was tempted to disagree with James until he reminded me of the Doctor's daughter which (laughs) remains the nadir of New Who for me it it was inoffensive, yes I I think Caleb's quite right, it did miss some key opportunities, the pirates weren't piratey enough, Mm. I think they overused the siren, Uh, perhaps they revealed too much too soon, she wasn't quite as creepy as she should have been but it was inoffensive it looked gorgeous it had a couple of nice ideas admittedly uh, fairly familiar ones its biggest problem was that all of the momentum and tension that had mm. been built up over the first two episodes came to a grinding halt uh, I know it was a deliberate step away from the yes. art mythology that's being yeah. set up but nevertheless 
Um, it didn't feel as if it moved anything forward in terms of plot or character, which has been soundly redressed this week, because mm. this was an excellent episode. Now, this episode was sold very much as the Neil Gaiman episode. So uh, how how familiar were you two with Neil Gaiman as a writer? Um, my first exposure to Neil Gaiman was watching Neverwhere when it first aired on the oh, BBC yeah. in the mid-90s. Um, and I bought the novelisation as soon as that came out, which was only a couple of months after the series, uh, which I hadn't realised at the time was his first novel. Uh, before oh. that, he'd just done uh, comics, and mm. I've mm. since read some of the Sandman comics. I loved those. Uh, Stardust, I really, really enjoyed the book. Uh, enjoyed the film as well. Um, American Gods, I was less sold on, but mm. all in all, I, I think he's terrific, and he's very much in the mould of the dark fairy tale mm. um, sort of subgenre that Stephen Moffat seems to be aiming for with, uh, yeah. with his incarnation of New Who. Mm. And uh, I don't think he disappointed on any level. Mm. No, certainly not. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of him. Um, so the Sandman series that you were mentioning were what got me into reading comics, and um, I've never really looked back since then. But they're definitely a gateway drug to uh, mm-hmm. to going yeah. on to graphic novels and comics. So if you've never read them, they're, they're genuinely one of the most um, literate and fantastical mm. and... Um, whimsical and dark um, series you'll ever come across they're, they're well worth a look um, whether you've ever picked up a comic or not um, but actually I, I've um, I've enjoyed everything pretty much that he's done with possibly the exception of American Gods which is interesting because that's always held up as the the high standard really of yeah, his work you have to divide people that's yeah. interesting because um, uh, I, I I tried to read American Gods but couldn't get into it but I've loved most of his other yeah. stuff and yeah it's it's interesting but he does seem to uh, he is quite a varied writer mm-hmm. and so, so there's quite a contrast I tend to like his more fairy tale his more kids type stuff have you read his younger kids stuff so I've actually t- I've uh, taught that to primary school oh, children, no, and haven't. they're absolutely fantastic. Um, the Wolves in the Wall, mm. um, particularly good. Um, and I've read The Day I Swapped My Dad for Two Goldfish. That yeah, that, that's that's a good, that's a very good one. And you, actually, if you go onto his um, onto his blog, mm. onto his website, you can yes. you can download a lot of him like a lot of stuff of him reading it. I, I really brilliant. I really enjoyed listening to him reading. Uh, the Graveyard Book. That's really fantastic. His yeah. reading of that. Uh, really good story and really well, well read by him. Yeah. Well, uh, the other in- big thing that this episode was sold on, in fact, one of the few things, because they were giving away very little, uh, was the title The Doctor's Wife. Mm. But we'll get on to that as we begin uh, the commentary uh, now. So if you're listening along at home... Press play now. <laughs> so here we are on the totters at the totters yard at the end of the universe, yes. as it was described in the script in reference to an unearthly child, the very first. Uh, and uh, the the one item of, of that has been consistently good throughout these four episodes, and I know Swithin has commented on this, 
is just the look of the whole thing. Mm. Yeah. Every episode has looked absolutely gorgeous, hasn't it? The direction in this as well, particularly the, the mm. in TARDIS scenes, have been absolutely fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Um, and really, really raised their game uh, across the whole board, I feel, this mm. year. They've been making the most of that TARDIS set. Definitely. Yeah. So... Yeah. It's one of the things that usually lets down the standalone adventure romp style episodes. They're shot uh, fairly cheaply, a little more matter of factly, but even the, the pirate episode looked gorgeous. Yeah. I, I, I love the reference to uh, Robot King Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> That's great, though. Um, also, the nice, creepy, atmospheric scene at the start. We never really find out who uh, Idris was. Um, uh, it seems that she's someone else who's fallen through, but we don't find out whether she's... She doesn't seem to be a patchwork person. Yeah, yeah. A little more recently arrived than the others, perhaps. Mm. So, the knocking on the door of the TARDIS. And we're about to get our second reference to the early era of classic Who. And this is one of the preview scenes that was released, wasn't it? Mm, on the website, yes. And Matt Smith doing his stuff again. Yeah. I did really enjoy all of this. Yeah. Now, did did you see the video on the website about the uh, delete, deleted original version of this scene, no, which would I didn't, have no. uh, taken place on the planet of the Rain Gods? Ah, and that sounded like almost an excerpt from a Tintin adventure. It was <laughs> yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, people may well have already heard this on uh, from the website, but basically it was uh, they them about to be sacrificed to the rain gods and the doctor saying uh, oh, I've got a plan uh, what is it? Well, uh, we'll wait for them to be distracted and we'll run away <laughs> and Rory being like that, that's not really a plan, that's more hope and, <laughs> and then the box comes, flies in, distracts them all and they <laughs> run off um, which would have been, been fun, but I guess filming on the TARDIS set is considerable cheaper yeah but yes another living time lord it seems uh, which is and without uh, any of the sort of ponderous build-up that uh, surrounded it towards the end of the david tennant era it's mm. quite matter of fact but all the more exciting for that because it was yeah. unexpected yeah i I, lo- I love the uh just description of the course that you've basically had a whole mm. other character suggested just yes. from a few lines of dialogue. And it seems yeah. it's not just the Doctor and the Master who choose their own mm. names when they go travelling. Yeah. And also, also in, intriguingly, uh, someone who is both a Time Lord and at times time a lady. Time Lady. Yeah. So, uh, could the Doctor one day regenerate? <laughs> I, I no. particularly enjoyed that they just disappear into another universe or a mm. pocket universe or through a rift or however mm. we're terming it. But even that, again, is very simply and very effectively done. Definitely. You see flying away from a rift to a planet and that's it. Yeah. And in, com- in, in comparison to, um, to uh, was it season two when the they... Ages, ages yeah, where, oh my goodness, we've disappeared into another dimension or out of the universe or whatever explanation we've been given for this, uh, and this is a terrible thing that we're going to have to keep on labouring about. 
But in this, it's just, yeah, we're going to pop through it because uh, that seems more interesting this week. <laughs> we did. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of dialogue that uh, slipped by us there. The Doctor talking about the TARDIS swimming pool again, which I think is possibly its third reference this year. <laughs> being uh, jettisoned. Being jettisoned and all of these various other... Is it squash court number seven? Yeah. Well, the jettisoning is something the Doctor did in... Was it Castrovalva? I uh, think so. Um, sort of to give more power to the TARDIS to, I think, to escape the Big Bang ah. uh, when they were um, turtling back towards uh, Event 1. But, um, yeah, and the Pocket Universe is rather reminiscent of E-Space, which Romana yes. um, was last seen in uh, the Doctor's Time Lady companion. Now, we've got our first proper look at the exterior of the house planet. Mm. Uh, and it's magnificent. Yeah. Uh, they've really gone to town on this, and I know they've, they've added to it with CGI, but uh, mm. you do get a sense of it being all-encompassing. It is a 360-degree world mm. that they're wandering around. It's beautifully yes. dressed, beautifully lit. And we get one of the, uh, the brilliant Matt Smith comparisons... It's yes. like a bubble, it's like a plug hole. Actually, it's nothing like those. <laughs> but if it helps. <laughs> yeah. And Saran Jones here is absolutely fantastic. Mm. She's Could, magnificent from start to finish. Yeah. Because d- did you see her in the Sarah Jane Adventures? Yeah, I hadn't realised until last night that she was the Mona Lisa from the Sarah Jane Adventure story. Ah. In which she was dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> well, she well, wasn't dreadful, but she was dreadfully cast, to be more precise. Um, but she's wonderful in this. <laughs> Completely mental, but... <laughs> Brilliant. It's like kissing, only there's a winner. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit like somebody dropped Helena Bonham Carter into mm. um, an early Tim Burton movie. Yeah. But it I, works. I, 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 yeah, I, with the hype about the Doctor's uh, wife, um, I mean, and it being someone uh, familiar with a new face and all this kind of thing, um, there was a uh, a lot of speculation who it might be, and I, I did. Uh, my suspicion was that it would turn out to be the TARDIS somehow, uh, given flesh rather than Romano or the Rani or whoever yeah. regenerated. But I, I was quite pleased then that you sort of found that out in the pre-title sequence that that was what they're doing. So it wasn't like the whole whole thing all given away. But seeing what they do with it is yeah. then. That's the sort of setup for the story. It does also continue the great New Who tradition of naming a title, The Doctor's something, and then not having it actually be that. Yes, yes. Like the yeah. Doctor's daughter. But uh, nice to see the Ood back. Mm. Yeah. Uh, am I right in thinking that the Ood weren't originally going to feature in this story, um, but they told Neil Gaiman after examining the budget that they didn't have. <laughs> Uh, enough money for a totally original monster and could he possibly reuse an existing costume? Yeah, I, I, I believe that's the case. Um, but the Ood used very good effect here. Mm. Yes, it, and it's uh, really a, um, creepy just all the Time Lord 
voices. Mm. Swiffin reckons that one of the voices was uh, John Sim, though I wasn't listening, oh, I but that. I'd be somewhat surprised. Although he has been making a lot of talking a lot in interviews recently, how he'd like to come back as the master. Who's with him? No, does like it when people okay. call him master. <laughs> He's got that megalomaniac tendency. Uh, uh, Uncle and Auntie are uh, quite nice characters. I, I really liked the bit at the start where she's like, uh, "Oh yes, my dear, she's going to um, house is going to uh, suck up your soul and wipe your mind." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just in that terribly matter of fact. Yeah. And, and we have to give a shout out to the costume designers here because they, mm. what they're fairly spare characters, Uncle and Auntie. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think but, I think they were one of the things that got cut down in editing. Just uh, uh, they had larger roles, but, mm. but when when I say they're quite sparsely drawn characters that mm. isn't to say that they're not very effectively drawn yeah. and I think the costumes do play a very large part in that because you get that patchwork sensibility mm. straight away definitely that, 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 again in terms of um, references to past Doctor Who that's quite brain of Morbius as we'll see when we mm. sort of see the arms and the way they've been stitched together the chop suey body that uh, the Oh, that's creepy. Yes. And do my will. Yes. Michael Sheen, uh, award-winning international star of stage and screen, born in Newport, incidentally, mm. another South Wales. I was a little disappointed that he didn't get a single mention in last night's Doctor Who Confidential. Mm. I would have thought he merited a, at least a, you know, <laughs> even if they couldn't talk to him face to face, they could have spoken about him a little. Yeah. It is, mm. He's a, I mean, he's a big name. He really yeah, is. It really yeah. is what, a, a huge name. He was one of the best bits of Tron Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> there were some, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm wondering because with uh, what's his name, Bill Nye, he agreed to be in the episode on the condition that he wasn't used in publicity, that he didn't have his photograph taken. Oh, uh, so I mean, it seems like basically he wanted to play the entire part with a paper bag over his head. Yeah. But I, I'm wondering... That would have been brilliant. I'm wondering whether it's... Um, there's something with some of the bigger name with Michael Sheen being a bigger name whether there's some contractual mm. oddity there's an interesting moment there where Auntie has a little bit of a feel of Amy's face yes. which I, I don't is that meant to is that meant to be is this going to be one of those moments when we look back on it and go oh we should have seen that I, I, I was wondering that. I think it was just to show that Auntie's left arm uh, okay. does not match her right at all and it's quite a yeah. different large masculine um, okay. which, which as we'll see in but, a few moments will be important but yeah. I, th I think there's also the thing of um, that house likes Amy ah yes of course I've forgotten that though this, this is nice this, mm. uh, this bit that he's looking for he is looking mm. for forgiveness he's looking for validation for what he's done mm. See, even though this episode doesn't play into the arc plot that's been established so far, or at least not significantly, it does an awful lot to advance the characters. Yeah. Definitely. 
and it's not that often that you get an episode that does that effectively. Mm. Yeah. Not with any sort of lasting, meaningful sense. It's also, it's not very often that you get kind of something like that where there's not an explosive, you know, finale or uh, where there's not, you know, Mm. terrible, terrible danger at every point. Um, It's quite a... I wouldn't go as far as to say a sedate episode, but it's certainly not as whiz-bang as mm. a lot of others. Mm. It's, not, still... it's not melodramatic, is it? It's, uh, that's definitely it. I, that's it. Yeah, because I, I, was, I was somewhat surprised at the end of it. I had expected something a bit more whiz-bang. Mm. And the stuff in the TARDIS, it was nicely done, but I sort of expected... Yeah, more melodrama, as it, as it were. So I was quite surprised that, although it's got its action-y moments and stuff, it did seem a lot more of a character piece yeah. uh, than I anticipated. Yeah. You see, this is where I feel Doctor Who, especially new Doctor Who, tends to fall down when it wants to do feel important. Even if there's nothing important particularly happening, it will resort to melodrama, which they did um, to a certain extent with the pirate episode last week with the young urchin boy getting zapped, and especially yeah. with Rory having to be resuscitated mm. on the floor of the TARDIS. Uh, and that just felt like cheap drama for the sake of it. Whereas this is far more affecting and far more lasting, and will, will, I think yeah. it will affect the way that we view these characters through the rest of the series. Mm. It, it, Someone described it as um, being entirely backwardly compatible in that although it's doing new things with the mythos, it does work entirely with what's gone before. Yes. It, it gives you a new way of looking mm. at the past and sort of building on all those references to the TARDIS being alive back from the very first episode through to things like... Uh, the heart of the TARDIS in mm. uh, Parting of the Ways. Oh, the little do- the little boxes making the Doctor sad. Yeah, it's actually it's a genuinely affecting moment. Mm. That that line about I really thought I had some friends here. Mm. Just, just the loneliness that you realise that the Doctor must feel on a day to day basis. That mm. Uh, mm. and particularly combined with that desire to be forgiven. The realization that they've taken away from him again, really the the time lords that he thought were mm. were still safe. Mm. But the, the, I mean, and that little scene is all really down to Matt Smith's acting mm. Mm. and yeah. the two supporting cast here, who suddenly do seem, while while they're never any less pathetic than they were, they do seem suddenly quite menacing. Mm. Yes, I think the it's Matt Smith is again brilliant in in the role and just uh, showing different sides to the Doctor gives yeah. him the opportunity to uh, reveal those aspects of him. Yeah. And this whole thing of basically run his him being you don't know what he's he will do now. He's been made angry at having had his hopes raised and dashed. Yeah. I like that contrasting attitude of the two companions that Rory <laughs> still hasn't quite got that the Doctor might might lock them in. Yeah. It's good to see the Doctor being quite cunning and manipulating his companions. It's uh, mm. That almost harks back to the Sylvester McCoy era when uh, 
Yeah, he would use Ace, his companion, as a mm. tool quite often without her realising what was happening. And then we've got the glowing green light mm. seeping around it. It is nice to have uh, an episode that really does make a feature of the TARDIS. Yeah, it's high time. Yeah, and after all the hints that we've been given about what's inside mm. and what it is. And here we have the scene with the Doctor and the TARDIS with Siren. Now, human TARDISes are an idea that have been uh, explored somewhat in the novels when the show was yes. off, off the air. You had, um, uh, amusingly, in Alien Bodies, Lawrence Miles's novel, it I think it introduced them, but it mentioned one TARDIS that had got stuck in the form of the 1960s policewoman. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a rather different angle on it. Yes, you also had the more advanced TARDISes that, uh, where, yeah, where the companion of the Time Lord was the TARDIS, effectively. Mm. Yeah. fractal and more advanced. But then you also had, um, what was it, what was the name of the companion who was turning into the TARDIS? Com- Compassion. Compassion, that was right. Um, an idea very similar to this, the heart of the TARDIS had basically died or been removed, and so Compassion, the Doctor's companion, was slowly evolving into a new heart of the TARDIS to take its place. Well, the Doctor's TARDIS exploded, but she turned into a TARDIS. Ah, to a brand new one. Yeah. There's also a comic featured in Doctor Who magazine in the 1990s uh, in which the Doctor and, I believe it was Izzy at the time, Oh yes. uh, were trapped in the TARDIS in some sort of in an idea very similar to the Dream Lord from last season. Um... The TARDIS telepathic circuits were tapped into their brain and the TARDIS was represented uh, by a woman and she had to save the two of them. Oh, and so it was, told, it was told almost from, from her point of view. She was a mysterious figure who would appear in various key scenes and help them. So it's, it's not... Yeah, a human TARDIS is not an entirely new idea, which was, as mm. was suggested in Doctor Who Confidential last night, but... It's the first time that we've ever seen it on screen, and it's, yes. it's done very effectively here. Yeah. This is just absolutely wonderful, <laughs> where she just... Uh, out techno babbles the yes. doctor. Yeah. Uh, something that I found really interesting about this is is the fact that it's, it's another love interest woman, call it mm. what you will, who knows more than the Doctor who's got a little bit more of a, a view of the Doctor's own future albeit because she can see a little mm. bit of the way in um, uh, again it, it reminds me very much of um, of River Song and mm. the, the dynamic between them um, of neither of them quite knowing who the other one is and yes. what's going on at any moment but one of them always holding a little bit more mm. of the future than the other. Nice to hear the cloister bell. Yes. I'm sure somebody out there in internet land is keeping track of how often we hear the cloister bell, but I'm sure we must have heard it more in the last two or three years than we did in the entire classic series. Because <laughs> it uh, seems to pop up every season now, doesn't it? When did it pop up before? 
Uh, it was first heard, oh, I'm told it was the Cloister Bell, in the Children in Need special scene that preceded the Christmas invasion. Oh, yeah. Although at that time it sounded more like a fire alarm bell. Uh, but it has it has been heard a few times in the new series. If you happen, if anyone listening to this happens to remember exactly which episodes, do please email in and ask uh, and let us know because uh, well, I can't remember. Yep. With uh, with this scene here and the uh, why shouldn't I kill you now? I I'd, I'd have gone with the tack of because it'll really annoy the doctor before. Because it's more fun to torture and play with us. <laughs> yeah. But then, I suppose, is it'll really annoy the Doctor really going to be that much of a threat to a being that, as far as it's concerned, mm. has left yeah, it behind in a completely... You know, in a way that there's no way that he can get to the TARDIS. Mm. Uh, and who obviously doesn't fear the Doctor in any way, bearing in mind that he's killed hundreds of Time Lords. It would be a good opportunity for him to gloat about that to emphasise those points. Hmm. Is it? <laughs> no, this, is, this is just wonderfully funny and tragic and a little bit grisly at the same time. The fact that they both just, their life seems to have left them both. Mm. It's like body not going to last long, impending tragedy. Yes. Oh, it was a given that she was never going to survive the episode. I do like the little flourish, that little flick of the wrist that Matt Smith gives mm. whenever he uses a sonic screwdriver to open at the end. I like her references to the companions as the orangey girl and the pretty one. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Rory. I like the line about the madman in a box. Without a box! (laughs) We've had a few references to lines from the 11th hour this series, haven't we? Mm. We've had things from the corner of your eye and voices speaking through walls, which uh, goes right back to Matt Smith's first episode. (laughs) We've had fish custard brought up again. Yeah. Corridors. Oh yes, you have <laughs> lots of corridors. Yeah. Yes, uh, I mean, uh, House has the ability, beloved of uh, BBC set designers, the ability to rearrange corridors <laughs> at will. Yes. In endless permutations. Yeah. Now, we, we touched on this briefly, uh, the fact that we get to see a little bit more of the inside mm. of the TARDIS. Um, it has been referenced, hasn't it, in previous episodes? Yes. There's more going on, and we've spoken about the swimming pool already. Um, but we, we have, am I right in thinking we've seen the wardrobe room yes. in the new series in, in the Christmas Invasion? But that's about it, I yeah. think, isn't it? We've never seen a bedroom, we've never seen anything else. Because the swimming pool was supposed to be in this, but again, it was cut. Due to budgetary reasons. Yeah. Well, because Amy Pond can't swim, Karen Gillan. Can't swim, we're really? told. Officially, that was that was the excuse given to Neil Gaiman. Yes, sorry, Karen Gillan can't swim. We can't shoot a scene in the swimming pool. That's <laughs> so why he wrote it with Rory in the swimming pool, I think, and they said, no, we still can't actually afford a swim. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apparently, according to, I think it was, it was mentioned on Neil Gaiman's blog, he called a Doctor Who uh, fan friend of his and got him to go through the entire classic series and new series and make a list of every single room that had ever been mentioned or seen inside the TARDIS, from 
the zero room to the cloister room to the swimming pool and various other bits and pieces. I think that was uh, Steve Manfred, who's a uh, stalwart of online Doctor Who ah. um, But there were going to be an awful lot more references to specific bits of the TARDIS that got uh, cut. I don't know if you've ever seen um, Dark Star. John Carpenter's Dark Star? I've, no, I've seen snatches of it, but I've okay. never seen the whole thing. This is very reminiscent of that, except they're not chasing a beach ball around and pretending that that's an alien. But that, that <laughs> whole scene of the uh, of the drop um, and running around these corridors, it, it, I don't think that it's meant in any way to be reminiscent of yeah. John Carpenter's first fan film, essentially. But uh, it's it's well worth a look if you if you like aliens that are essentially a beach ball being chased around yeah. corridors. I, I, I like the DIY TARDIS that the Doctor built, yeah. which, uh, of course, was the winner of the Blue Peter Designer TARDIS console competition. Yes, is it? Although, although the, the actual on-screen item doesn't look as close to the BBC, to the Blue Peter Design as I think it perhaps could. But the whole thing is lo- wonderfully reminiscent of the 80s TARDIS set, mm. with just that one back wall with the uh, hexagonal features yes. around the roundels. Mm. I love the interplay here between uh, yeah, between the, the two of them. Um, and reliability. They do bicker like a married couple. They do. Well. It's absolutely, it is really nice. And they're always taking you where you needed to go. It's often yeah. been speculated that the TARDIS in some way chooses to take the Doctor to all these yeah. places. Yeah. I did hear a theory that, in fact, the TARDIS doesn't like the Doctor very much, and so that's why she keeps on <laughs> dropping him up places like Scarrow, Home Fires of the Daleks, let's go there again. Perhaps I'll get rid of him this time. Uh, yeah. I like that bit about him always bringing home strays as well. <laughs> yeah. There's the long suffering wife who has to put up with him just, you know, turning up with the floozy of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, if the t- if, with the TARDIS being sentient, it puts a, a new light on uh, the Doctor fading out from Bad Wolf Bay just as he's about to go, I love... Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Quite enough of that, thank you, thinks uh-huh. the TARDIS. <laughs> oh, now here we get into the interesting uh, scenes in the corridors. Mm. Amy and Rory have been split up and uh, we get a little bit of almost concentrated tiny whininess. It's it, yeah, it's it's quite. Now this nice at this point, at this point, the implication is that this is really happening. Yeah. But there has been possibly some shift in time for one of them. Mm. So can House control time within the TARDIS as well? Possibly. You think at this point they just learn to go hand in hand? Yes, yes, they are asking for it, really, aren't they? But now that we've actually got our first look at uh, another section of the TARDIS interior, what do we think of it? Well, well it's, it's only a corridor, but <laughs> as a corridor... It's nice to have some corridors, and it is very classic. It's a classic thing of Doctor Who, running around corridors, and we've got a quarry, so... Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like the series was never off the air in the <laughs> 90s. <laughs> That's wonderful. I, That's very funny. I do, I, I do like the whole role reversal thing of uh, I wanted to see the universe, so I stole the Time Lords and mm. ran away. Yeah. It so also nice. makes you wonder why, if he's driving it with the handbrake on as well, yes. why, why, why she, she doesn't get away with that? <laughs> yeah. 
That this is a wonderful scene for Arthur Darville. Mm. We see him as you know the, the older Rory here. I'm glad that he's been given some real emotional meat to play with. Angry Rory, we haven't seen that properly yet. Yeah. Yeah, this is very creepy. Yeah. Psychological. And we never find out who comes for him, at least. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Assuming this isn't real, but. uh, But yeah, just in terms of using suggestion. Yeah. Oh, they really need to give Arthur Darville more more scenes like that to do. It's interesting because every now and then you come across people online who seem to think that he's rubbish. What? I don't, I don't I understand know. that. No, oh, we, we need more Rory. We definitely need mm. more Rory. And kudos to him for not dying this week. Well, <laughs> as, 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 well, 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 no, you... Cause yeah, well, he does, does die, actually. Yeah. No, that's true. Oh, good grief. <laughs> it honestly, wouldn't be an episode if Rory didn't die. As, as Angry Who fans blog pointed out last week, it was the fourth time in six episodes that he'd died and come yes. back. Yeah, <laughs> It is admittedly getting so ridiculous the, now. The fifth time in seven, uh, seven episodes. Uh, unless, though, this is actually going to be a plot point that Rory somehow can't actually die. For some reason. Hmm. That's true. I have to wonder what he's written the, the, the stuff in. It appears to be blood. But what's the black stuff then? Well, let's not even ask. <laughs> it looks more like charcoal. Spray paint. This, this, but this is really quite... I, 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 I was rather thinking in the back. I was like, ooh, this is yeah. quite nasty. I wouldn't have expected yeah. them to do this at all, but... Uh, Brownie points to them for actually having the guts to do it. And it's not made any less effective by the fact that it's almost instantly resolved. Yeah. Mm. Because there's so much chopping and changing between different perceptions that you're never quite sure from one minute to the next what's real and what's not. You don't know that there's new Rory. (laughs) Even though he looks to be perfectly healthy and happy, you don't have no idea that it isn't going to turn into something worse. This is where the uh, effects budget's been going. Yes. But this right, is, yeah. it is wonderful. This does feel epic and dramatic. Yeah. Do you think a um, future showrunner might ever dare to... Um, uh, change the format of the show so as to permanently give the TARDIS a human avatar. And would that be a dreadful idea? I, I wouldn't be surprised if they... I, I wouldn't actually at the end of this episode have been surprised if they made it talk. Mm. Like, and, and made it more of a companion in the sense that it could... Yes, communicate. Could communicate with them. Um, mm. See, I, I think I'd rather have a physical human avatar who appears... Not every week necessarily, yeah. but in times of emergency. When they were, uh, when the 1996 American yeah. TV movie was in production, one of the long-standing rumours was that the TARDIS was going to talk in a New York rap style <laughs> voice. Uh, 
But this is when they were still talking about casting David Hasselhoff as the Doctor, so <laughs> take that with a very large pinch of salt. But I, I, I can just imagine uh, someone thinking that... Uh, someone who... I don't know if you had a non... Um, non-fan showrunner who was perhaps a bit more radical in their thinking yeah. to sort of permanently give a uh, human TARDIS uh, to the Doctor as a mm. companion. That's a possibility. Which could be done really badly, but I suppose it mm. could be pulled off. As, uh, as long as they didn't reduce it to some sort of romantic will they won't they Mulder Scully style love (laughs) interest week in week out that would be a very bad idea I think it's brilliant that they've they've made the Ood creepy Ood haven't been creepy for a while have they not since the Satan pit whereas this this is very creepy Mm. the fact he's just standing there waiting for her is very effective yeah just waiting for her to wave her hand through his tentacles (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the whole sexy you bet it's your name <laughs> and this sequence flying through the rift is wonderful mm. so now that the uh, TARDIS corridor sets have been constructed are we hoping or expecting to see them again it, it would not surprise me if we see them again mm. at some point because Russell T Davis was adamantly against the idea of spending any more time in the TARDIS than was strictly necessary, wasn't he? He, was, he likened it to a, yeah. a period drama scene in a hackney carriage. He said you don't want to have the whole of Sense and Sensibility set inside a, um, yeah, a stagecoach. You want the stagecoach to get them to where the story is actually going to take place. Yes. I, I loved this I bit with the... the Davis was an idiot. Con- con- with the concepts... And, uh, and you get the images flashing up, uh, and I think this is just really nicely uh, yeah. done. Just doing something more know. imaginative. And here we are, past the old TARDIS set. Really yeah. nice to see it again. See, so this didn't affect me in quite the same way as this, as it seems to have affected quite as as many of the fans online. Just because it hasn't been that long <laughs> since we saw it. Yeah. And we did have, what, four years and a little bit, four and a bit years of it. And at the end of the day, it's it's a TARDIS interior. Mm. Like, it's had not it, that big a whoop. Had it, it, had it been the Peter Davison era <laughs> yeah. TARDIS, I would have been perhaps a bit more excited. Or, and they'd never ever do it, a recreation of part of the Paul McGann TV movie set. Or an old control centre that we've never seen but I can fully understand why they didn't bother with that but no it is quite nice to see it again (laughs) Uh, yeah this is where all of the budget got blown isn't it this whole creepy green lighting thing that's been going on throughout though is is very good yes there's that scene that got so many people talking in the oh yes Sort of everyone trying to see what was inside the glowing special effects. Mm. Someone reckoned they could uh, see the outline of uh, Omega's head dressed <laughs> in it. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's like one of those Rorschach tests. You see yeah. whatever you want to see in the big swirl. <laughs> this could be the funniest scene of the series. <laughs> 
Even my wife laughed at that. (laughs) And now they're back on the ship, but how to defeat House, who is in control of the TARDIS. Who would have thought Hugh Laurie would be that evil? (laughs) Yeah. Now there's a crossover. (laughs) I would have liked just a few more lines to, or a line perhaps to suggest what exactly House would do instead of eating TARDIS is just to... Is this quite interesting? It's the fact that, and again this goes back to the fact that it's not being melodramatic or putting the entire universe in danger. Mm. Yeah. House doesn't pose any direct threat to anyone in particular other than our characters, but Mm. that's enough. And we don't know what he'd do once he got to our universe, but it would be enough. We just know that he's. Uh, it let, be let's, good news let's put it like this. We know that he's evil. We know that he's killed Time Lords. They've done more in that thirty seconds mm. than they did with the entirety of the silence over two episodes. Yeah, like mm. we we know he's evil. We know he needs to be stopped. Yeah, rather than he's killed a woman, and in some way that's bad. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> killing a woman is it's bad. bad yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to justify killing a woman as a good thing. I'm mm. just saying maybe genocide isn't yes. the answer. Any, any, police, <laughs> any police officers listening to this podcast, <laughs> do send James an email. <laughs> yeah, genocide isn't the answer, police officers. That's all I'm saying. Oh. See, when, when you look at this episode, the storyline itself is reasonably simplistic. It's yeah. the Doctor and companions are lured to a planet where the TARDIS is hijacked. The uh, Doctor has to engineer a means of escape, and the companions get trapped in a sort of a runaround rat maze inside the TARDIS yeah. until they're all reunited and uh, yeah. Idris is able to resolve things, which is, is just wonderfully straightforward. But I don't think you need or want any more storyline than that in a 45 mm. minute story especially yeah. when so much is focusing on the characters yeah I, I, I feel yes it did I've it, just noticed that the TARDIS lamp on top is glowing green, green. I haven't yeah. spotted that in the previous episode and that's lovely I like these just scenes of the empty TARDIS going green yes. and then again green. very brief but very effective mm. yeah Hmm. Now, we, we're giving a little more insight into how the TARDIS operates in terms mm. of moving its rooms around and changing the control room. Um, I'd always assumed that it regenerated almost like the Doctor himself, mm. and that it was able mm. to change it, renew itself and change its physical appearance, but we're told that, it, that she archives rooms. Mm. Um, and I'd always understood that the central control console was really key to the operation of the TARDIS and even if the room around it changed the console itself was what remained yeah. even though the physical appearance of it you know, obviously, obviously changed there was only one console and if you could go to a previous control room the console wouldn't really be there and it wouldn't look the same well, uh, you, so the secondary control room in the Tom Baker mm. era it, it looked as though it was, it was missing the time rotor oh yeah wasn't it But uh, it's all there, so that... Which is nice. But, but, but they do seem to need to get back to the, the main, con- control, the main room, yeah. control room. Uh, it doesn't seem that this would have worked from mm. the old one. 
Yeah. Which leads me back, uh, you may, if you were a regular listener, you may remember I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the silence TARDIS, the Lodger TARDIS, mm. could possibly be this TARDIS in a future incarnation. And we're told that she's archived control rooms that haven't been created yet. Yeah. So could we be seeing another part of the TARDIS? Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, coming back to the amount of story, it it does, although in some ways you feel, oh, it would have been fun to see more of the TARDIS or see more um, TARDIS interior, see more of Saran Jones, uh, it doesn't need it for no. the story. And it's uh, a lot of stories do feel um, that they've got so much going on that they could have done with another episode mm. but this one does feel complete in the time yeah. it has the pace is mm. perfect really isn't it mm. yeah, and now what word here's, alive. here's my one query mm. there's a line that features in the clip of this scene that was repeated in Doctor Who Confidential mm-hmm. um, which changes the whole aspect of their relationship in Idris's character. I didn't hear the line in the broadcast version, so mm. I'll be very interested watching it again now to see if it's actually there. So we'll uh, see in just a second whether it features or not. And again, it's really well lit and shot. Mm. And the glowy ghost effect is one that's been used in, mm. in New Who before and again usually strays over the line into melodrama but here it's it toes the line quite well it's more of a um, it's more of the look of when he's regenerating more to me that did you hear it? I heard it it didn't feature in the subtitles interestingly no it was very quiet what, what was it? she says I love you and she disappears that is interesting. No, that was a lot more noticeable in Doctor Who Confidential mm, when they played yeah. this scene again. That's strange that they don't subtitle it. I'm a little disappointed because I think it works better without that line. I was afraid that was what she was going to say when she ended up saying, Hello, Doctor. I mean, the, these shots here, these, I think, mm. is just lovely. Mm. I am glad that they're using the multi-platform yeah. set to greater effect this year. I love the Doctor's goggles. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, here we go, more art plot. The only water in the forest is the river. So, reference to river song, do we think? Is it that also be... reference to Amy Pond being not real in some way? There's no pond, but there is a river. Mm, potentially. My and first guess would be is it's a river song reference. Yeah, mm. and the forest, the forest of the... Could be the forest of the dead. Eye of Orion is another classic mm. series reference. Yes. Now, you've just raised a very good point. Um, now, we know that Moffat is playing a long game in terms of the art plot. And, of course, he introduced... River Song before Tenants Regeneration. Yeah. There's no reason to think that the setting of the library, 
planet wouldn't be significant as well. In oh, some point. definitely. Especially if this does turn out to be a fairy tale, it would be the natural place to go and find yeah. find one in a library. Now, I hadn't considered that before, but uh, I'll add it to the list of conspiracy theories yeah. <laughs> swirling around in the back of my mind. Yeah. What, what, what did you think of the whole thing of uh, being alive being the only thing that matters? Well, I wouldn't say it's the only thing that <laughs> It's what you do with it. Because <laughs> mm. well, if you're dead, you're, uh, you're going to struggle to... Mm. Now, that's a lovely shot, starting mm. from that low Dutch angle at the bottom up to yeah. an inverted one at the top. Oh, poor Doctor. And I think Murray Gold has scored this episode very well. I'm really enjoying that they've taken the volume down. Yes, it has drowned out the dialogue in a lot of cases in previous weeks, hasn't it? I, I think actually this season it, the, the the volume has been much, much better. Mm. It's been far, far less noisy than it has. Yeah, I haven't really noticed the change. I, I've really noticed no. it. Trailer for next week. This is a very effective teaser trailer. Yeah. The first half is practically dialogue free. This is where the effects budget for this season went. Yeah. Looks like a nice concept. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's uh, what's his face from Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes? Oh, Marshall yes. Lancashire. Oh, good. I'm glad he's still getting work. That that looks very interesting again for the story arc. The idea that there's a possible link to the eye patch lady. Yeah, the pass the possible link to the eye patch lady, and, and and the thing that it immediately screamed to me was that possibly there's a there's a doctor running around that isn't the doctor. There, oh, there might be a, a, might a, be a, clone. a clone or a flesh mm. doctor or uh, something. Credit for to Russell T Davies for creating the Ood. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Because who wrote the actual episode of The Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit? It's not credited to him, is it? Although it's widely it's, uh, accepted Matt, that he went in. Matt and, Jones was it? I think so. Yeah, yeah but that I was think... it, Matt Jones. Because but he Russell T Davies was credited with going in and not salvaging it. <laughs> but let's say no, tink- definitely not tink- tink- yeah. tinkering extensively. Mm. I think there was probably more Russell T Davis in those two episodes than there was Matt Jones. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean we never never saw any interviews with Matt Jones in Doctor Who magazine or Confidential or anywhere as no. far as I remember. I d- he hasn't been back to write another no. since. Has <laughs> the mysterious Matt Jones. Mm. Could almost be a pseudonym, who knows. <laughs> oh. I, well, he did write a new adventure. Oh, did he? Oh, which one? Um, oh, what was it? Uh, I've, I've forgotten. The... Just back when they were still the Virgin published yes. new adventures. Oh, wow. Well, that does go back away. But it was around the same time that Russell T. Davies wrote his. Ah, I see. Oh, very interesting. Oh, but there we go, guys. What, what did we think of that on a second viewing? Loved it. Yeah, really good. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, shock horror. We all agree, but uh, but of course it, it wouldn't be a uh, an episode of Doctor Who without some disagreement. So I think this is the time for us to find out what Swivin thought. Yes, he has sent us a text. Yeah, Swivin texted us to say Lawrence Miles ought to get his lawyer. Is the moth deliberately trying to annoy him? I think this is in reference to the human Tardis. Oh, I idea. think everything Moffat does, Lawrence Miles takes as an attempt. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, the story also has nods to the war games, the mic drop ruined an unearthly child. I take it Swiffin approves of these things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the episode has some good ideas, such as cannibalising body parts to keep the servants alive. I mean, really? Is that the best of the ideas <laughs> that Swiffin thinks are in there? Uh, uh, a actually ghoulish frame of mind. The Swiffin plan to do that with his servants? Um, also, having um, the TARDIS as a woman was a nice touch. Yes, yeah, as, as you know, okay. a solid plot. <laughs> but, uh, He's going to listen to this. We shouldn't really be making fun of him, should we? <laughs> oh, this is the perfect opportunity <laughs> to make fun of him. Uh, further, the horror-esque parts with Rory and Amy were excellent playing on the latter's fears. Oh, and Rory actually gets something to do. However, the story felt rather inconsequential, as it didn't really say much. <laughs> really? Uh, or advance the arc, save for the TARDIS's dying words. Uh, Does every episode need to advance the arc? Moreover, the ending was really obvious. In conclusion, an entertaining, though lightweight, story. Is he talking about the ending where everything was resolved happily <laughs> and the Doctor and the TARDIS weren't left behind to die on the planet? P.S. I loved the bunk beds line, Swift. Uh-huh. Well, I think we all loved the bunk beds line. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Yes. So, so we're in agreement on that. Yeah. Hey. But yeah, it's, I mean... I think we're talking at the end of the last episode, Sophie and I, about um, Moffat finding uh, his own Stephen Moffat, because Russell T. Davies mm-hmm. had Stephen Moffat yes. to come in yes. to write a standout episode, knock the ball out of the park, and sort of leave everyone reeling mm. type, type thing. And so, uh, since he's already writing the show, who, who does he get to do that? And he seems to have found... Well, he hasn't found us yet. So <laughs> yeah. Neil Gaiman will have to do. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean... Uh, what do we do? We think uh, Neil Gaiman's likely to. Uh, I mean, knowing how busy and prolific he is, I, I don't think I've saw online that uh, the campaign to make Neil Gaiman the new showrunner has already started. Yes, <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen. No, but I would be quite happy to see him come back if and and do a few more episodes if he is given a story that he is happy with or is able mm. to choose a story to work with. Um, I would be more than happy to see him come back and do another one. I'd love to see a two-parter. Mm. I would mm. really like to see a, a two-parter. So if you're listening, you know, two-parter from Neil Gaiman, yeah. Be yeah, good. I, I think um, he did. I think he said in one of his interviews that uh, he would do it again, but only if he the had, story was, had an idea yeah, that he, uh, he as good as or better. Do than this yeah. one um, which is fine by me if he can think of a story that's as good as or better than this mm. I'm mm. quite happy for him to come back and uh, yes I think <laughs> everyone would <laughs> um, I, I, I thought it was a genuinely fantastic episode um, 
uh, I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's best mm. of the season so far, and I know that we're only four episodes in, um, but every few years or so, every four or five maybe, you get an episode of Doctor Who that adds to the fabric of the show as a whole, yeah. and not just the individual series. Doctor Who doesn't have a meta-narrative as a, in the whole, um, or not any kind of consistent meta-narrative, but every so often you do get an episode that just adds to the mythology and the character and your understanding of the entire series in a way that makes it feel as if it's always been there. Mm -hmm. And it just seems to fit quite naturally in with everything else that's gone before. And this was one of those episodes, I think. Mm -hmm. This is one that will be remembered as a classic years uh, down the road. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's just the best episode of this season? I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being the best episode of... The 2011 series, yeah. Do, I see. I'd go even further than that. I'd say that this is the the best episode that certainly better than anything from last season. Yes, a lot of last season had some very good episodes, but I think this probably top. I can't think of anything in season three or four that I enjoyed more. When was Blink? Are you season three? Yeah. Okay. Human nature, family of birds, food for me. Oh, no, I like that. Rubbish. I don't think it quite lives up to this one. The ending was a little more. Uh, I don't think it ended as strongly as this one. Um, this this is is in the running. It's certainly in my top three best episodes of New Who mm. ever. I think it might very well be my favourite. Mm. Yeah. If you're listening at home and you agree or disagree furiously, yeah, yeah. then uh, no, send us an email or leave a comment on the blog and let us know what you thought. <laughs> Swithin is definitely going to be emailing us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please don't let Swithin be our own, our own email. <laughs> Similarly, if, if there are any particular areas of the TARDIS that you think we should see in future episodes or should have seen uh, in this, then uh, let us know because uh, we, we've been comparing ideas and uh, we'd like to know what you all think. Yep. Okay, I think that about wraps it up. Definitely. So, uh, yes, thank you very much for listening. Uh, join us uh, again. Um, uh, yeah, we're, we've also put up some of James's reviews of the first few episodes, and hopefully yep. there'll yes, be more on the way. Definitely, uh, yeah. So uh, check those, those out on the blog, uh, impossiblepodcasts.blogspot.com. And, uh, yeah, please uh, keep listening and... Uh, stay in touch. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Impossible Podcast. For more Doctor Who commentaries, plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.blogspot.com, or search for us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Oh, so, so.